You're listening to Washington Post Live's weekly conversation series with cultural pioneers and changemakers on race in America. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Robin Gavon, Senior Critic at Large at the Washington Post. Today, we are continuing our series on race in America with Anthony Ray Hinton, who's just released a young reader's edition of his best-selling book, The Sun Does Shine. Thank you for joining us and welcome, Mr. Hinton. Thank you for having me. I, I wanted to start by reading a short excerpt from your book. Uh, just like anyone else, Ray had grown up with dreams, a baseball scholarship, maybe marriage and kids, a fancy job, a nice car. He had dreamed of so much, but nothing like this nightmare he was living. I'm curious, have any of your childhood dreams come true? Uh, if I'm going to be honest, uh, the answer would be no. Uh, and I try not to dwell on it. Uh, I just have been a person that accept each day for what it is, and I try to move forward. Uh, if I could say so, I know without a doubt, I was one hell of a baseball player. I know without a doubt, I could hit a baseball like no other. And when I hit it, God, for some reason, gave me the power to take it beyond the fence so I could walk around the base because I'd never been a fast runner. And I believe he gave me the power so I could take my time to get home, even when I was younger. All of my uh, other four siblings, they was really fast and I was slow, but they couldn't hit a baseball like I could. And so I've always had a dream of playing in the major league. I have always had the ability to see myself uh, in the major league. And I went to a predominantly white school and I played uh, baseball. My band average uh, was 618 from the ninth grade to the 12th grade. Uh, I don't know too many places that you don't at least get a look at when you got this type of band average. I didn't was never offered any kind of scholarship to go to any junior college or, or, or university. And I began to realize that race played a part. I truly believe in me not being accepted and getting at least an offer from uh, schools. And my school didn't help it at all. It was, uh, as I said, predominantly white. Uh, it was racist. And I was there for one reason and one reason only. I was zoned there. I went there to get an education. I got the best education that I could get. And I didn't look back. I didn't worry about what wasn't. And here I am. Uh, so to really answer your question, no, I always have dreamed of being a major league. Uh, it's kind of ironic you would ask me that question because I once went through different neighborhoods and asked young people uh, my age at the 11th and 12th grade, what did they want to be when they grew up? And every black that I asked, they wanted to be lawyers and doctors and firefighters and police officer, nurses, school teacher, 
And I got one of my mother friends to take me over into the white community. And I asked the white student the same question. What do they want to be when they uh, grow up? Believe it or not, the white student wanted to be the same thing as the black student. And over the course of years, I have tried to find out what happened to this particular lady who wanted to be a nurse, what happened to this guy that wanted to be a doctor. And I realized that for African America, we have been sold a false dream. Or uh, when people say you can be anything you want to be, I really believe that is false. Or uh, no matter how hard I work, no matter how good I am, I have come to believe that I am only allowed to go so far. And I have learned, I guess, in a way to accept that. I try not to worry about anything that I don't have the power to change. I know you were only 29 years old when you were charged with two counts of capital murder and uh, the police lieutenant who uh, detained you said that he didn't care whether you had did the crime or had not. When you heard that, did you at that point in your life think that it was just one man talking? Or did you really recognize it as something that was systemic and and with very deep and wide roots? Uh, I realized at that moment it was systemic. I mean, uh, he spoke for the entire justice system. He spoke for what he knew. Uh, let me say this unequivocally. I didn't fault him for what he said. At least he told me the truth. Uh, but when that same detective told me the five things that was going to find me guilty, uh, but before I went to trial, that detective was dead on the money. And if I, if I could meet that detective tomorrow, I would say, hey, you was exactly right. It was a and white what did he say were the, the five things that would convict you, if not evidence? Uh, he said, there's five things that are going to convict you. He asked me the question, would you like to know what they are? And I said, yes. He said, number one, you're black. Number two, you're going to have a white prosecutor. Uh, number three, you're going to have a white judge. Number four, you're going to have an all-white jury. And he said, number five, the fact that you're black. He said, do you know what that spell? He said, conviction, 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 conviction. And those was the thing that convicted me. He, he, not one time did he say, we have the evidence. Not one time did he say, we got a witness that can place you at the scene of the crime. He said, there's five things that are going to convict you. And he had the audacity to ask me, would I like to know what they are? And when he told me. I couldn't say a word. And those was the five things that convicted me. And believe it or not, when you face with, I guess, truth, how can you get mad? Or I couldn't get mad. It just showed me the type of judicial system that we have. They don't convict you by evidence. They don't convict you uh, by word or association sometimes. Uh, we have a system that treats you better if you're rich and guilty. 
opposed to if you're poor and innocent. I was poor and innocent, and I just happened to be born in the state of Alabama, uh, where it is, in my honest opinion, one of the hardest places to prove your innocent if you don't have the money to hire uh, a decent defense. And so, as I sit there in that five by seven every day, uh, I ask myself, what did I do? I didn't make myself black. This is the way God created me. I haven't, I don't have a history of violence. I don't have a history of doing things wrong. I have uh, done something wrong, but never to the extent of killing someone, fighting someone. Uh, I believe we can disagree. I don't believe we have to throw punches. And I just couldn't understand why did they pick me? Of all people, why me? And those lies, they almost got away with taking my life had it not been for the Equal Justice Initiative, uh, Mr. Brian Stevenson and the law yeah, that. I'm curious because in the book you you know you talk uh, at length obviously about your your upbringing and about your mother in particular and one mm -hmm. of the things that you talk about is that you were uh, raised to uh, respect authority that you Absolutely. were raised to believe that the police were there to help you I mean how did you make sense of what you had been taught as a child and as a teenager with what was happening to you as a young adult? Well, to be honest with you, I truly believe one have to, I sit there and I believe that a mistake had been made. Or I, you have to tell yourself, after asking yourself, and you know you didn't do it, I kept saying, well, they gonna find out that they don't made a mistake. They gonna come back and say, oh, Mr. Hinton, we sorry, or uh, we made a mistake and you're free to go. I believed in that up till I went to trial. Um, believe it or not, I believed in that even after I was convicted. I kept saying, uh, one day a lawyer or somebody gonna look at this case again and say we made a mistake and they was gonna reopen the case. And if you go back and if you can go back, even when I was convicted, I told the judge, uh, during the sentencing phrase, I said, one day God is going to reopen this case and you're going to see that I did not commit this crime. I said, but if you kill me, innocent blood will be on your hand. And it was like I've seen this in the future. I really believe that one day someone would come and reopen the case and thank God or the just initiative uh, took my case and it took them 16 diligent years to finally get the court to overturn my case. And finally I was set free on April the 3rd, 2015, but I should have never had to went through that. Or uh, I keep hearing people say free. I, I don't really believe I will ever be free again. I live with the thought of going back at any day and any time. Uh, Anytime that you're brought up to believe in a system, my mom believed that the police was there to protect all people. My mother instilled in me that the police is your friend. If you haven't done anything, you have no reason to run. If you haven't done anything, you have no reason to lie. What 
no one is focusing on the gun that the police department used against me. I am the one that volunteered and told them that my mother uh, had a pistol. They had no search warrant for to search the house for a pistol. Truth is what I stood on because my mother had instilled in me, always tell the truth. That day, the truth cost me 30 years of my life and the truth almost, almost got me executed for a crime. They knew, and I say it proudly, they knew that I was innocent, but they didn't care. Do you ever look back and and say to yourself, I should have run? No. Uh, That same system that is not meant for me, that same system would have used that, well, why did he run? Or that same system would say, he must be guilty. He ran. And so I stood there like a man. You know, my let me say this. My mother brought me up. And if there's one thing I will never forget the rest of my life. My mother told me one day, she said, if you man enough to bend down and pick up a rock, and if you man enough to throw that rock, then you should be man enough to say you throw that rock. My mother was telling me, if you man enough to do something, be man enough to say I did it, regardless of the consequences. But be man enough to stand up and say, hey, I did it. He didn't do it. I throw that rock. And so I grew up just being blunt, honest when it came to authority. I respect authority even to this day. I truly believe that all of us should learn to respect authority. But I also believe that authority should never abuse their authority the way they abused it on me. You, when you mentioned your mother, I mean, she, she passed away while you were um, in prison and uh, she was stalwart in her belief in your innocence, as uh, was your friend Lester. I mean, yes. Can you talk a, a little bit about what um, their support meant? And I'm curious if they ever talked about um, the, the fact that, you know, an, an entire family, an entire community was in many ways um imprisoned along with you uh first you know i my um my mother was a believer in god and she brought every one of her kids up to respect others regardless of race my mother was a person who had unconditional love for her children. And when it came to me, my mother and I had one of the most beautiful relationships a mother and son could have. Um, my mother was my father as well as my mother. My father worked in the mine and a rock fell on him and he lost his mind. And so therefore my mother had to become my father. And I feared my mother in a way like I feared no man. My mother was just strict. Uh, My mother believed that a child didn't have a right to say anything but do what they was told. And so I was okay with that. And when I got arrested, 
I realized at that moment that my mother watched her baby boy being kidnapped right in the very uh, driveway that she watched the car go down. And when I got convicted, I truly believe that my mother tried to protect me as well as I tried to protect my mother. Every time I would talk to my mother, she would just ask me, when are they going to let you come home? And I would lie to her. And I would say, Mama, they're working on it. Or it's going to take some uh, time, but eventually they're going to let me come home. And I told that lie to my mother every time she asked me. And I was trying to protect my mother. I didn't really know whether my mo mother understood that I had been found guilty and we had sentenced to die. And I kept thinking, how do I protect my mother? I wasn't worried about me, but I knew that if I was to be executed, they would also be executing my mother. And so I tried to protect my mother in ways that you couldn't even imagine. I tried to be this happy kid that goes on the vision yard when she come and laugh and talk after I got out of the first three years. I didn't say anything, but after that, when my mother came to see me, I hugged her. I talked about how I missed her cooking. I talked about how I wish I could go fishing with her because she loved fishing. I tried to show my mother that I was okay. I didn't want my mother to know that her baby boy really was in hell and what was going on behind the prison wall. I didn't want my mother to know the abuse that one was going through. That's the love I had for my mother. So when she would come see me, I would put on a different face just so that hour, two hours, three hours that she was there, she didn't see any pain. She didn't see any sorrow. She just seen a happiness. And I wanted her to leave knowing that I was laughing because I've always been a person believing laughter. Uh, could you be honest with your with your friend Lester? I I, I was absolutely. Uh, Lester and I have had some talk that I didn't want to have. I had to pull him aside and say, "Hey, uh, I've been found guilty of a crime you know that I didn't commit." I said, "But just in case uh, things don't go the way that we uh, think they should go, or the way that we want them to go, I want you to be there for my mother." I want you to bring my mother to see me, but I do not uh, want you to bring or allow my mother to come and witness my execution. I knew that my mother could not take that. Uh, her heart was fragile. And I made him promise me that somehow that I wanted him to tell my mother what she had always told us, that at some time and some point in life, God and only God have the right to call you home. And I want you to tell my mother the night of my execution that it was my time. She brought us up to believe that all us have a beginning date and an end date. I don't want you to get into the politics with my mother. I just want you to somehow convince my mother God needed me the most. And Ray is okay. Ray is at peace. I hated to have that conversation, but 
I believe that we all should be somewhat, I would call it, a backup, just in case it didn't go the way that I wanted to go. I wanted to protect my mother, even after my death. You know, I, I would love to talk a little bit about um, hope and compassion and, and faith, all of which played significant roles in your being able to survive all those years. And, you know, they have all, they say that sometimes hope can be a, a four letter word. I mean, how did uh, you look at hope as did you see it as something that would get you through? Did you see it as something that was a bit dangerous to cling to? And and the other part of the question is on the subject of forgiveness. Um, you know, people often say that, um, you know, to forgive is really for the person who is, is doing the forgiving. But does it also mean that uh, the perpetrators are in some way left, let off the hook? Well, let me start with hope. I don't believe that you nor I can lay down tonight and not have hope that we're going to wake up in the morning. Hope is just another form of branch of faith. I have to believe that there is a higher power than man. I have to believe that somehow it all started before man was ever here. And from the age of four, my mother believed in the Bible, she believed in Jesus, and she always instilled in me that God said high, but he looks low. He will destroy, but yet he will defend. That God have no respect of a person. Whatever you want, all you have to do is ask God. She didn't say God will grant you your wish every time, but she said whatever you want, take it to God in prayer and leave it there. And if it's for you, there's nothing nobody can do about it. And so when I got to prison, all of my mother luggage that she had dropped to me from the age of four all the way up to the age of 29 came into play. It was as though my mother knew that one day I would have to rely on her teaching as well as rely on uh, reading the Bible for myself and believing in the Bible and believing that God do exist. And so when I sit there in that five by seven, my mother brought me up never to question God, but I uh, questioned him when I was in that five by seven. I wanted to know what I had done so bad that I deserved to be convicted and sentenced to death. I wanted to know where was God when I was being lied on and prosecuted for a crime that he knew and I knew that I didn't commit. I wanted to know why have you forsaken me? What did I do so bad that I deserve this? And if I'm going to be honest in which I am, I really said God didn't live here anymore. I didn't say I didn't believe in God. I didn't say I uh, didn't love God. I was angry with God because who wants to be on death row for a crime they didn't commit? And I wanted to know if you have all this power, the way that I know you have this power, why you didn't allow the truth to come out? But then I realized something. 
My mother told me that God's ways may not be my ways. You have to stand firm and believe that he will work it out. And every night I went to bed, not one time, and I mean not one time, did I ask God to free me. I thought if I asked God to free me, that would be the most selfish thing I could ever do. But I prayed the prayer of truth. And I said, God, if your will, allow the truth to come out. I mean, the, the state of Alabama has never apologized. I mean, how do you, how did you, do you find your way to forgiveness? Well, forgiveness is, in my honest opinion, forgiveness is not about the state of Alabama. Forgiveness is about me. Uh, forgiveness is where I could go on and live uh, the best life that I can live. Uh, I want people to realize that forgiveness is not a sign of weakness. Forgiveness is a sign of strength. Do you know the strength that you have to have to act and forgive people that did this deliberately? Had every intention of taking your life from you? Do you know the strength that it takes to say, hey, I forgive you? But what I've learned that I'm stronger than I ever thought I was because I forgave some men that don't care what they did to me. And it takes strength to do that. No one in the state of Alabama have ever had the decency to say Mr. Hinton was sorry. Although I wasn't even here, I was not a part of this. But as I came on to be a part of this, I want to a personal apologize to you for the mistakes that we made, but they haven't done that. And so I have to go on with my life as best as I can. And I have to be the bigger person. I have to go on and forgive them. And I pray that one day before they meet their maker, they will have the good sense to ask for forgiveness. They don't ever have to ask me. But as a person of faith, a person that love people, a person that have compassion for another human being, I have to forgive. I have no choice. And so that forgiveness that I have forgave them, it allowed me to wake up every morning with a smile on my face. That forgiveness allowed me to wake up and say, hey, today is going to be a beautiful day. We, we have just like two minutes maybe, but I did want to ask as you think back and you think about uh, criminal justice reform, are there, is there any change that would have made a significant difference in your experience? Oh, yes. I, I, you know, I think we have a system, as I said, that if you don't have the money to hide decent defense, 99.9% uh, .9 of the time you will be found guilty, especially if you're born an African-American male. Uh, I look back and I think that we have a system that needs changes. Um, there are those who would have you to believe that the system is broken. I'm here today to tell you that the system is not broken. The system is working exactly the way it was designed to work. You would have those who tell you that we are dealing with mass incarceration. We are not dealing with mass incarceration. We are dealing with a new form of slavery. And that form is to put as many men of color in the prison system as it can. And so for me to sit here and say that everything is okay, I'm not going to do that. Uh, what would have made a difference? 
is that if I could have had the equal justice initiative on day one of my trial. And so there's an old saying in America, you get what you pay for. I didn't have the money to pay for an attorney and I didn't get an attorney. I got somebody that made it legal and got sentenced to death. And here I am 37 years later. That attorney have never reached out and say, Mr. Hinton, I'm sorry, I didn't give you my best. The state of Alabama have not said, Mr. Hinton, do you need to see a psychiatry or psychology? It is on us. I have to deal with that nightmare every day of my life. But by the grace of God, I try every day to put one foot forward, to try to be light where there's darkness, to try to be understanding where there's confusion. I try to be love where there's hate. And I try to do my best every day to show compassion to others. And so uh, it is what it is. It's not the perfect, but I'm trying my best to rally up the truth. And when I say the truth, I'm trying to rally the good people of America and say, hey, we are better than this. We need to come together and have an open and honest conversation about race in America. And perhaps we can solve a lot of problems if we have the courage to have an open and honest conversation. And so I get up every morning and I try to be a light for young people. I try my best to make this system what I really believe it really was created to be. And that, that all men are created equal, regardless of the law. But I know for a fact that everyday men of color go to prison that haven't done anything. And so I have the ability to speak to thousands. And I'm trying my best to use my voice and my situation to enlighten people. And I hope that whoever watch, whoever read this interview, it would change their heart and say, hey, we do need to fix this system. Mr. Hinton, thank you so much for being with us today. The name of the book, once again, is The Sun Does Shine. And make sure you reach, run out and get it. Get a copy. <laughs> 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 Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.